0: How does a field of inquiry decide what its canon is? That is, the knowledge that constitutes the core of the field, and what everything else is that falls in the margins or outside of that center? And what are the voices then that are represented within that canon, and and which are the voices that are left out? About this, and many other fascinating topics, is this conversation with J.D. Rivero in the new episode of El Café Latinx. What is the experience of being a Latinx or Latin American scholar in the field of communication and media studies? What are the main challenges and opportunities that come with our identities? These are the issues that we'll talk about in El Café Latinx, where some of the leading voices in the field will share their professional experiences. Hola, my name is Pablo Bochkowski. I teach at Northwestern University, where I hold the Hamid bin Khalif Al-Thani Chair in Communication. Together with Mora Matassi. Doctoral student at Northwestern and executive producer of this podcast, we invite you to discover the journeys of scholars who are at the cutting edge of creating knowledge about Latinx or Latin American communities across the Americas. These are our stories. Esas son nuestras historias. Estas son nuestras historias. Welcome to this episode of El Café Latinx. I'm thrilled to have today Yehdi Rivero, who's professor and chair of the Department of Radio, Television and Film, and also professor of American Studies, and also faculty affiliate in the Department of Communication Studies, all at the University of Michigan Ann Arbor. Before that, she was on the faculty at Indiana University and at the University of the Incarnate World. Yehdi did her BA um, in uh, Puerto Rico, and her MA and PhD in the States, the MA at SUNY Stony Brook in the Theater Department, and the PhD at the University of Texas Austin in the Department of Radio, Television, and Film. Uh, she's the author or editor of three books, most recently, Broadcast Modernity, Cuban Commercial TV 1950-1960, which was published by Duke University Press. and. Uh, was declared the winner of the 2016 Society for Cinema and Media Studies Catherine Singer Kovacs Book Award, which is a major signal award in the field. She's authored uh, a number of very influential journal articles and book chapters and is currently uh, working on an incredibly promising book uh, tentatively titled The Original Miami Sound Machine, Cuban Exiles, the Cold War, and the emergence of Miami as a media capital. Welcome to El Café Latinx, Yedi. It's truly a pleasure to have you here. Thank
1: you, Pablo, for your invitation. This has been a blast. Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: So Yedi, how did it all begin? That is, how was the start of the journey that led you to become a professor? So I'm gonna
1: tell you something that I think people, I saw the common journey I never imagined that I was going to be a professor. Let's begin by that. Um, I was doing theater in New York, Spanish language theater and voiceovers, and I began um, teaching Spanish in a community college. And I realized that I love to teach. <laughs> this is after my master's, um, so I took a break between my master's and my PhD. And I realized when I was, you know, teaching Spanish, okay, I love teaching, but I need a PhD. So my goal was, okay, so I'm going to go and do a PhD and then come back to New York City and teach in one of the CUNY system and then continue my theater career in the Spanish, you know, Spanish language theater career. That did not happen. (laughs) I finished my PhD. I tried to go back to New York. There were no jobs. And I said, okay, so I need a job. So I got the incarnate work. That was my first job that year. There were not many jobs available. And I got that job at the end. I was a four-four teaching load. I knew that I wanted to, um, that I wanted to get into a research institution. I I began to realize, oh, maybe I'm not that bad with this, you know, in this thing. Like I think life takes you in different path, and that's what happened to me. So I I got like some awards. I published something, and I said, okay, so I got the Indiana job. And I always thought, okay, I'm going back to New York. (laughs) I'm teach there, and then going back to my theater career. Nope. I continued the publication because, you know, you know, it's ten-year track. And um, I think I was very lucky, to tell you the truth. I began, I connected with senior scholars who helped me. Clemencia Rodriguez, one of them. Um, and I, I thought, okay, so maybe this is going to be my new career. Um, but I can tell you that my theater background has inspired me. Like, it's fundamental in what I do, what I research, who I contact, etc. So that's how everything began for me, something that I never, you know, some of my colleagues wanted to be professors since they were in kindergarten, not me. Uh, I didn't see myself like that, uh, but that's who I am, right? <laughs> that's who I am, a professor, and a publish essays and books, so. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, not only a professor, very, very successful, a much-admired <laughs> professor uh chair of one of the most important departments in the field in one of the most important universities in the field
1: thank you uh,
0: you're welcome most deserve not in new york though but still one of the <laughs> most a little bit far from new york uh smaller town as well so so going back in time um after you know your masters at suny stony brook when when you were teaching and you know decide that you want to go to grad school um how was the journey to UT Austin? Why UT Austin?
1: So, um, I remember at the time um, and it's, I think still today University of Texas has uh, w- it was one of the few universities that had classes devoted to Latin America and Latino media, okay? That was not common in other universities. And I remember when I was looking at programs, I said, oh my God, this is amazing because and they had an amazing library also, um, Latin American Studies Library. And I thought, OK, so that's another thing. I only applied to UT Austin. I said, this is it. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere else. And I applied. And let me be clear. the first, So the first year, they accepted me and I declined. The second year, they rejected me. The third year, they accepted me. again. <laughs> so I because I was again, I was debating about doing a PhD when I did my master's. I remember my thesis advisor of my master's degree wanted me to continue in theater. So he wanted, you know, why don't you go to Texas but to study in the theater department? And I said, no, no, you know, I do theater. I don't study theater. I don't want to, you know, my passion is to be involved in productions, not to study from the distance. So I prefer to be more distant and study something that is important. So that's why um, radio, TV and film at the time had uh, top, you know, still today, but you know, many of the people who actually define the field. And I like also the fact that they combine cultural studies and social sciences. That's my training, you know, I'm training in both. Like I, that's why I can be in communication and media studies. Uh, so those, and third, and uh, last and not least important, it's beautiful. <laughs> I saw the, I saw the tower, it's like, okay, that reminds me uh the University of Puerto Rico tower. So I'm going there. <laughs> very simple, <laughs> very simple. <laughs> And I had amazing uh, classmates. It was an amazing moment, you know, Mary Beltran, um, Hector Amaya, um, they were, you know, other people who don't focus on Latino studies. Um, um, America, um, oh my God, I, America Rodriguez was a professor there. Um, she retired. So it was, it, was a, it was a perfect place for me to be in, in my opinion
0: okay and why did you uh, decline the offer the first time because you wanted to stay in theater in new york or
1: correct because because at the time i was doing like the voiceover so i was making a lot of money and you know i always joke you know i don't tell the graduate students i tell them their graduates which of course i oh my god i don't know like in, in 1994 i had like a my annual income was like sixty thousand are you I know exactly and I said no I'm gonna go now and um you know of course he was doing different things the voiceovers the place uh teaching you know um so that's why that's why I decided to wait and I think it was a good move to tell you the truth I was more mature I knew what I wanted. And. Um, I and I knew also that I wanted to finish fast. You know, I, I, some people now extend like many years. I'm like, no, I want to finish and get a job and move on. Um, but that's why I selected
0: UT Austin. And you said a couple of times that your theater background has shaped your scholarship.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, in, in which ways if you can share with us? How 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 has that happened? and? Has that evolved over the years? So
1: I I pay attention to actors, directors, producers, and now of course it's more common, but when I was beginning, you had uh, Herman Gray, for example, Julie Daci, these two scholars who actually began to pay attention to different aspects of of television production. Um, But there were not many. And in general, the actors are not actually considered or interviewed for studies. Um, And for me, that was key. And, And to tell you the truth, my first project was, the influence of that first project came from my theater years when I saw that there was a lot of racism, for example, in Puerto Rico in casting, which is across Latin America. You know, the black people are the mates or indigenous people are the mates. So that's why I saw the anti-black racism, for example, because of that. So that was my theater background because that's what I saw. Um, They are the people who, you know, these are the people, they have helped me get into information in Cuba. Imagine I am not from Cuba, I've never been to Cuba and who helped me, you know, they were librarians, but also the actors who I connected from my theater years. So this has helped me throughout the years. Right now, my new project, exactly, actors, the voices, etc and I think that when you study media specifically television or radio I think it's important to analyze not only the text or the production or the business but also these people who are part of programs you know um, who are the visual you know people identify with actors so I think that's why it has been instrumental um, in in what I do even though like again now it's more common you know there are theorizations of acting etc But at the time, not that much.
0: Do you think it has influenced other aspects of your scholarly life, teaching or even service, you know, interactions with colleagues in institutional building, things of that nature? For sure.
1: (laughs) Acting is, uh, um, um, teaching is acting. Especially when you are in a humongous um, lecture hall, which I mentioned to you before that I'm supposed to teach a 200 student like, class, huge class. And I said, okay, I'm going to be performing for these kids. And, and believe me, help, because you engage, it's, it's a performance, you engage the audience. And I think it has been helpful when I do presentations in person, you know, I interact with people. And in the, of course, in day-to-day interactions with colleagues and as chair, when I present myself, I think we are, you know, it has been extremely helpful. Um, and now in video, you know, when Zoom, so when we do some, um, we, were, we were planning for the graduation and I'm doing, I'm gonna do a video and that's gonna be the acting, is always helpful. And not many people in my, in, in my profession right now know about that background you know, my theater friends know that I'm a professor, but my professor friends don't know that I used to do theater. <laughs> That's the way it is. But yeah, it has been influential and, and it's my passion, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And now you said that you had a wonderful time as a doctoral student at UT Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk a little bit about your your years as a junior faculty member, both at the University of Incarnate Word, where you, you had to teach eight classes in your first year. Um, and then at Indiana, where you did the, your subsequent stage as a junior faculty. How was that experience uh, for you, uh, also very far from you know Manhattan or Brooklyn oh. or any of the boroughs in New York that you thought you were going to return? Correct.
1: Um, so my Incarnate Word, let me be clear, it was very difficult to have a four-four teaching load, um, and that's precisely four-four teaching load, load and seven hours of uh, office office hours, seven per week. That was required. Um, it was very difficult. At the same time, it was re- the students were amazing. You know, it was a very diverse student population. Um, I used to teach a, a qualitative methods class. And even, like, there, you have, like, people who, you know, more normally, like, work, and then they want to do a master's to have a better, better opportunities. Again, very diverse. I have many Mexican and Mexican-American students, African-Americans, and white students. A diversity that I haven't seen, of course, neither at Indiana, didn't see at Indiana or Michigan, okay? But because I knew, you know, again... When I submitted one article and it was accepted, I said, okay, so maybe I'm not that bad. (laughs) So I said, okay, so I can keep doing this. And that's why I went on the market immediately because I knew that if I would have stayed there, it would have been extremely difficult to move to another institution. You know, I was, Jesus, it was very difficult. I I was writing in the evening. Like I used to go, you know, sleep at midnight. I was working every day in order to produce articles and, and get out again, but nothing related to the students They were wonderful. And again, that was my path. Other people love to teach, so 4.4 is perfectly normal, as I, told, as I tell my graduate students. Um, Indiana, Indiana is a research institution, you know? So I remember I was hired and the first, you know, the chair is <laughs> had a meeting with me. I said, okay, so this is what you had to, you need to publish three to four articles and a book. And the book has to be out before you go for promotion. Well, I didn't have a life. I didn't have a life. (laughs) Um, I remember it was very, um, two women didn't go for promotion because they knew that they were not going to get promoted. And that impacted me enormously. Uh, Me and the other people who came after me. So we worked so hard. And, you know, right now there are some I, here in Michigan, they are very conscious about the, you know, assistant professors helping, supporting, etc. Yes, I had a mentor, but this type of support that people have right now, I didn't have it. I didn't have it, and many of us didn't have it. So that's how it was. It was positive, you know. I had a very supportive community of scholars. I was the only Latina scholars. I mean, that's not that's not something something rare because as media studies is, you know, it's not that diverse. Um, but my colleagues were respectful and supported what I did. Um, in my second year, I was able to get a fellowship, and that's how I actually finished my book. Um, I had a Ford Foundation Fellowship for a year. I came back, had the book, had the contract for the book, and then, you know, I actually went out went out for promotion one year earlier because I said, why, why waste, you know, why wait in this martyrdom of, you know, like, oh, my God, will I get tenure when I can actually... Uh, do it. And then I was promoted to, to associate professor in 2005, 2005. And I stayed there and then of course came the opportunity for Michigan, um, which I, you know, I, I love this university and I always had many people who I admire, especially in American culture. I was more connected to the American culture faculty. Um, and I said, OK, let me try it, why not? And so I moved as an associate professor with tenure to um, to Michigan.
0: OK, now um, I want to follow up on a couple of things that you mentioned. You said that there were a couple of uh, colleagues when you were um, at Indiana, uh, female colleagues who did not go up um, because they thought or they were told that they were not going to make it and you also mentioned that you are the only Latina scholar in media studies, which is not rare because the film say, um, it doesn't have a lot of um, Latino scholar, Latina, Latino, Latinx scholars. So could you elaborate a little bit more on sort of your, your own experience, right? Um, of, you know, of issues having to do with gender dynamics and, and racial and ethnic relations, um, how those have sort of shaped your career? Definitely. Um,
1: to tell you the truth, um, I, I, of course you cannot, you cannot dis- detach gender, uh, race, ethnicity Um, I can tell you that I have felt more uh, pressure or discrimination for being a woman than being a Latina woman, even though I know that it's interconnected. I can tell you that I never had that experience at Indiana, Michigan at the beginning. I had that experience, very bad experiences. And it shapes. I'm a chair right now. It shapes how I interact with the junior faculty, it shapes the hires that we, I have done. It shapes the way I provide equi- equity for everyone. It shapes everything. Because I don't want the junior faculty members to experience what I experienced when I was um, you know, an associate professor. Um, that is something, I don't know. It, it, departments are different. My department used to be a lot of men, uh, but you know, it, it, being a man doesn't mean that you are um, misogynistic. It's, it's, it's a mentality, you know. Uh, right now, we have you know it's way diverse, and we have male colleagues who are very um, open to that racial diversity and gender diversity. So that's you know it was it has been very it was very difficult. It was very, very difficult and I do everything possible that what I experienced, no one else
0: experiences. it. Okay. Um, so do you think that overall, uh, the field has progressed positively in both of these dimensions?
1: I think in terms of gender, more than diverse, ethnic diversity, for sure. I don't think, again, we know, you know, all the Latino scholars know each other. We're not many, you know, I know that there is a new generation, and some of them, you know, I, that have been my students, and some of others are at Texas, others, you know, Northwestern. Um, I think it's happening little by little, and I think there is a conscious effort by uh, universities to diversify. Um, so I think, yes, it's happening little by little, but but it will take a little, uh, just some more time. In terms of gender, I think there is more diversity uh, in different departments. The key is to have both gender and ethnic diversity at higher levels, that's the key. Because that's how change happens. If you have all the junior faculty, you know, women or ethnically diverse, but our junior faculty, they're muted. They cannot say anything, but the key is to like in my department, I see that there will be a drastic transformation in eight years when these people are going off for promotion to associate. But I wish there was more diversity at the full professor's level, level and in administration. That's extremely important.
0: And, and why do you think he has the progress has not been very fast or, or somewhat slow? Um, in the case of uh, Latina, Latino, Latinx media scholars, um, I mean, in the U.S., the population is close to 19 percent. You know, is 18 and a half or more, um, but clearly, it's not 18 and a half percent of positions in the field. Um, let alone uh, positions with significant, you know, decision-making authority. Although. Yourself, uh, Mari Castañeda, Diomas, Hector Amaya, you Now we are seeing a wave of, before I by Libya um, uh, at UIC, um, but but still, I mean, it's a it's a small minority. Why why do you think uh, there is this disjuncture um, and in particular, this the, the, the pace of change has been quite slow?
1: Because I think when universities think about diversity, they don't think about Latinos. <laughs> They don't think about Latinos. Um, um, the U.S. Uh, racial dynamics is black and white, and that's still the case. Is black and white, and that's how diversity is defined. Um, so when people, when what administrators who don't know anything about that, you know, or don't they? Oh my gosh, we need to focus on diversity. When they think about diversity, they only think about African Americans. Okay which is perfectly good, wonderful, but there are other diversities. I can tell you, at least here in Michigan, I have been supported by many African-American colleagues. They are the ones who are helping me. They were the ones who helped me and they're still helping me, okay? Um, But that is what is happening. It's it's very narrow. It's a very narrow definition of diversity. and as long as you keep the black and white dynamic dynamic without considering that it's more, you know, there is broader definition of diversity, then it's gonna be very difficult to see a lot of change.
0: Okay. Now switching to your uh, scholarly output, how, I mean, you've been very prolific and you, you have a great, um, sense for projects, uh, yeah. I don't know how to put it. I mean, a, a great, um, um, like the book you are working on now, or your most recent books, I mean, they really g- go after very important topics in, um, in, in ways that are very persuasive. H- how do you choose a topic? How's the process for you?
1: So, um, um, it's very, thank you for saying that, because I remember when I talked to a colleague, um, one of my mentors at Texas, we were having a drink at a um, CMS and I share my second project, not, not this one, when I was working on the Cuba project. And he said, I don't think that's going to be a good project because no one cares about <laughs> no one cares about that. And I said, well, I have like a bunch of research on, so that's going to be the project. And indeed it was, you know, it has been good. I don't care if people care or not. One thing that happens, I don't care. <laughs> You know, right now people's, you know, the in is, you know, digital is the most important thing. The jobs are digital and that's where the future is in media studies. Um, I'm not doing that. I like to discover things. I have selected topics that I'm passionate about, that I want to show something that is, was part of a past that people don't know. Uh, and I want to share it. Has that affected my opportunities in jobs? Most likely. Not in, let me be clear, um, not in American culture, but in media studies. For example, my first book, someone told me that this is not a media studies book. This is an American culture book. And I said, okay. My second book, I said, okay, this has to be a media studies. So I'm going to be media studies, television in the front. Okay. So it was a media studies. Uh, it's also Latin American studies, Caribbean studies, but it's also media studies. This one is gonna be a Latino studies because it's the U.S., but also you know connected to Latin America. I just I just like to discover things that people don't know about. The people in the in the industry know. I that's what I like, and I select topics that I'm passionate about. I cannot select a topic because it's marketable. I know that for young people right now, that's very difficult. You know, they need a job, and they know that there is you know a media historian. I haven't seen a, one job for media historians everyone. Um, So they have to protect themselves, but then they can do other things. But in my case, I'm protecting, I'm fine. I say, you know what, I'm going to do what I'm passionate about. And if people read it good, if you know, okay. But that's the way I see the projects. Um, Something, you know, I don't think about marketability, but something that for me is important.
0: Okay. And and, and one aspect you mentioned this, and I'm, I'm glad you did because uh, um, I was going to ask you, but it, it's more organic. Like this one, one aspect that is fascinating um, about your research is that uh, you blend, or, or at least you your not necessarily blend, but your your work explores in different ways intersections of uh, Latino USA um, with uh, Latin American dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something that is not an, it's not as common. I mean, most scholars either focus on Latin American uh, issues or Latino USA. Um, how has that experience been for you in the sense of, you know, interlocutors within uh, and across the two communities? Um, how, how has that come about?
1: So I think... Um... I think the Latin is and the Latino people, Latino studies, especially uh, me- connection with media, it's impossible. Especially if you if you're focusing on Spanish language media, it's impossible to disconnect it from Latin America. Impossible, and it will be impossible. You know that's not going to change. There is an interconnection there, so the the field itself gives me that 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 connection. Um, I think some in media studies, I think they don't know about that connection. I think they, you know, if they look for a (laughs) Latino media, so I might not be, you know, they have to be here in Michigan, they were broad enough to say, okay, yes, yes, she does Latino media, but she also does the other things because they are interconnected, but that is not very common. so what I I am very welcome in American studies, you know, faculty. They all of them all understand, you know, the transnational, the flows, etc. Media studies has been more difficult to actually, you know, they see like Latino studies. So you're gonna focus on this and nothing else, and they don't understand that it's more broad in English language. You know, if you're focusing focusing on Latino media in English language, Latino media, then yes, of course, it's U.S. centric. And in some ways, you connected with African American and other minority groups, you know, like the relationship, etc. But if you're dealing with Spanish-language media, which is an extremely powerful, still today, uh, industry, you need to connect with Latin America. Right, because there are
0: sixty million Spanish speakers in the U.S., forty million for whom Spanish is the dominant language. Correct. Right. Um, so. So, but why? Why do you think it has been more difficult for media studies than for American studies? Um, you know, American studies, one would think, well, English is the default language, so they might have more problems versus media studies, which does not have a language, uh, a default language, or should not at least. Why, why do you think there is that difference?
1: I think, well, the, keep in mind, like media studies sometimes can be very narrow. Um, even in with the way um, they engage with um, theories, for example, is media communication nothing else. Like I remember for the second book, I used other theories from anthropology. <laughs> I didn't. I said, you know what? This is what fits. This is what I'm doing. Um, so there is this this narrowness uh, in terms of who are they talking to and who are engaging with. You know, they are not looking outside media or outside communication to see how, you know, the cultural aspect that has been studied in other disciplines, That um, that's the discipline itself. I don't know why it's so narrow. I can tell you many of the excellent books that I have seen by media scholars have come from anthropologists because they actually engage with media studies, literature, you know, this broad sense um, that sadly, not, not, it's not happening uh, that much in media and communication. So it's the field itself that one you know, you you recite your society, the people who are around you, but you don't go beyond that little niche. And that you don't see that in other disciplines.
0: But those disciplines are also disciplines. So what do you think in a sense media and communication studies are have become a little bit more insular than other fields
1: so you trust i don't have the answer for that i know that i know I don't, I don't i don't know um and let me be clear i think media studies is more broad because it, they live with cultural studies and cultural studies is something that has uh impacted so many disciplines um communication when you're dealing with you know um people you have the chance to actually go over culture to other disciplines i think. Something like american culture um American culture is um embraces everything or Latin American studies is the same it embraces you know history, media et cetera so because of that you can actually look for different um influences or literatures or examples. I don't have the answer why communication is so focused on specific issues or in media also, although media again, as I mentioned before, is a little more open because of the cultural studies framework that has been instrumental in media studies.
0: Okay, which, which then brings us uh, naturally to, to the closing of today's dialogue. So then if you had magical powers and, and, and could be granted one wish about how you'd like the field of media and the field of uh, communication studies to change, or one of them, um, what would you wish for? I wish that
1: we, and I said we, people who deals with Latino studies, African-American and media studies, uh, Asian-American and media studies, gender and sexuality media studies, we're not, we are part of the field, but we are seen as separate. You know what I mean? It's not, so for example, if you teach an introduction to, Film, television, and media, you include literature. You know, the canon needs to change. It cannot be uh, ghettoized. It needs to be incorporated. So if I had a magical thinking, it's like, okay, if you teach a television studies class, history of television, you are going to include I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm gonna. My, I'm gonna say I wrote it because I wrote it, and I'm familiar and I love that show. Qué pasa, USA, which is a NPR, NPR, PBS show. Okay, that's that's television. That's television history that deals with a community or Chico and the Man or so that not because you're because you're dealing with Latinos. No, it's because it's part of the history of the field. So that's, you know, and it's the same with movies, you know, why, or okay, God, good Orson Welles. Can you include other other films? Does it have to be always Orson Welles? So that's, it's incorporation of different materials and different uh, literatures that actually prove that this is not part of only one little circle that is part of Latino studies, but it's part of the bigger circle that is Latino that is media studies.
0: Okay, excellent. Thank you very much. This has been a super illuminating conversation. It's a pleasure uh, to speak with you. And thank you to all the listeners for staying with us to the end. And I invite you to uh, tune in to the next episode of El Café Latinx. Thank you. El Café Latinx is a production of the Center for Latinx Digital Media in the Department of Communication Studies at Northwestern University. I am Pablo Wuchkowski, your host, and I'm joined by executive producer Mona Matassi.